Coming up today on the Locked on Hornets podcast, we will mention at the end of the show the game between the Bucks and Hornets that took place in Paris. It was the first ever NBA game that took place in Paris. We will mention that, but today it's going to be largely dedicated to the passing of Kobe Bryant at 41 years old in the helicopter crash yesterday. So stay tuned with the special edition of the Locked on Hornets podcast. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. It's going to be a different type of show today. The passing of Kobe Bryant calls for it. Kobe Bryant was in a helicopter crash, as we all know, yesterday along with his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, and passed away at the age of 41. Pretty melancholy show and tone, I would imagine, for today, as well as all of the other shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. An icon goes down in a way that it was extremely unexpected. And for me, Doug, just to get right into a personal experience that I have of Kobe Bryant, one thing I think I was pretty surprised at my genuine reaction Upon hearing this. Okay, which was what? My genuine reaction was I felt something a lot more than I thought I would. Mm. Because Kobe Bryant, to me, has a big part in my love of sports. My first memory of getting into sports, absolutely having that, you know, just dive as deep as I possibly could into the stats, watching the product, making sure that I was in front of a TV for games as well as taking in as much possible information and content that I possibly could. It was the 2000 NBA Finals. In fact, I think, Doug, when you interviewed me, you interviewed me when the wake-up call was born, before I was even a host of the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Oh, we we brought you on the show. Yeah, right, right. You brought me on as a guest, and I referenced that NBA Finals as the moment that I fell in love with sports. Because that was that was Lakers Pacers and you grew up in Indiana, so you had right. that you had that connection. Now, I'll ask you this, as a Pacers fan, did you have a, a hatred towards Kobe at that time? Did you just from a sports perspective? So sitting this is my experience. Sitting on the ground, organizing all of my basketball cards, my hundreds of basketball cards that I had gotten from my brothers that I absolutely took on as much as I possibly could, organizing them being sports nerd boy from alphabetical order, right? The names in alphabetical order to creating my starting five against past starting fives. I would have all my basketball cards in front of me while the Pacers were playing the Lakers. And it was the first time that the Pacers had gotten to the NBA finals. They had gotten to a couple of ABA finals, but that was well before I was born. So my family all gathered around. We made sure that we turned it on. My grandfather, who was a huge Pacers fan, would come over and we would watch the games. I would have all my basketball cards in front of me. And then during commercial breaks, I would go shoot on my little Michael Jordan, my little Tykes Michael Jordan goal. Nice. I would emulate Reggie Miller coming off of screens. I would do the post-up, drop-step, power dunks by Shaquille O'Neal. And I would emulate Kobe Bryant driving to the basket. As a Pacers fan, you would still emulate as, as a as a Pacers fan, I emulated everybody that I possibly could, Kobe. including the two stars that played for the Los Angeles Lakers and Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. And Doug, it was because of that moment that I fell in love with sports. Look, I may have fell in love with something else down the road. There might have been something else that spawned this interest because, of course, it turned into a career. 
but it happened then. It happened when I was seven years old, mm. sitting with my family, watching the biggest stage of basketball where Kobe Bryant beats the Indiana Pacers in game four in overtime single-handedly. He goes four to five. I remember Kobe hitting every single shot that he took in overtime. And if the Pacers win, it's 2-2. But because Kobe took over in a way that he had done a few times later on in his career, in overtime he goes four to five, and eventually the Lakers get a 3-1 series lead rather than having that get tied 2-2 and that being a much closer finals than anybody was willing to give it credit for. Kobe Bryant has a place has a significant place in my love of basketball and sports. And I'll always thank him for that. And you're not alone in that. I think people that are in our age, Brad, I'm a little older than you. So I experienced a little bit of the Jordan, the nineties Jordan era. Um, But I grew up really understanding sports in the Kobe Bryant Showtime Lakers era. And so, yeah, you're certainly not alone in, in feeling that way. In fact, I would say the 2001 NBA finals against AI and the Sixers. I cheered for the Sixers because I was an Eastern Conference guy and I really only cared about the Charlotte Hornets. I didn't care about the NBA in a in a general way like I do now, but that was the first time that 2001 NBA Finals that I gave a damn about anything that was not Charlotte Hornets. And so I'll I'll remember that and I'll also remember that even though I was cheering for the Sixers because I loved AI, I still I couldn't hate Kobe Bryant. I don't know why. Like I I've hated. In fact, I didn't like Michael Jordan. I, I think you could say I hated Michael Jordan because he kept beating up on the Hornets, and maybe that's why I didn't hate Kobe because he never really. I never really remembered him beating up on the Hornets, and I didn't have the context to understand the whole draft situation where he was a Hornet and then he wasn't. I didn't really understand all of that. So I didn't hate Kobe Bryant. I, I enjoyed watching him play, and I enjoyed watching Shaq play but I still cheered against them because I always cheered against the empire. Like I always cheered against the team. I always cheered against the Yankees. I always cheered against, cause I was from Charlotte, really from Gastonia, but I was always like the underdog, you know, I always cheered for the underdog. Um, so I never had that visceral hate for Kobe that I know a lot of fans did while he was playing. Uh, but I was super interested as I grew up in the sport, I was always interested in Kobe Bryant's mentality, his competitiveness, and I was, I'm always interested in how these guys, these great icons of sports, often have to be bleep holes while they're doing it. They have to get in your head. Jordan was famous for that, and, and Kobe was a facsimile of that. And I'm always interested in that. But I'm more, I was more interested in how Kobe started to transform himself after his career was over. He did the thing that really MJ didn't, which is, hey, I'm going to kind of shift into a, an ambassador for the game I'm going to connect with other players. Michael wasn't ever able to kind of get out of his own head in that sense and and wasn't that guy. Um, And so I was super intrigued to see where that went. And that makes all of this, I mean, it's so incredibly, unimaginably, inconceivably tragic. But as an NBA fan, it makes it even more tragic because thinking about what he could have done for the game. And, and how he could have continued that transformation would have been very interesting and I think impactful. I think as humans, we often find it hard to deal with the death of young phenoms that have so much more to give before they were able to actually present some of that stuff to us. And in the case of Kobe Bryant, it's unique because Kobe had a fulfilling career. It was amazing. Five championships, regular season MVP, two finals MVPs, and certainly a first ballot Hall of Famer, we got to see him put out a 
a illustrious career that there's few that can match. Yeah. Yet, Doug, you're right in saying that his legacy was not done yet. There was so much more that he had to give to the game. There was so much more that he had to give just to humanity. The guy won an Oscar. It's insane. A professional basketball player deciding to dive all the way in to film where he made a short animated film that eventually won an Oscar. Hearing people talk about working with Kobe on that project, they discussed how it was Kobe on the basketball court except in the production room. It was full steam ahead, staying up till 2, 3 a.m. in the morning trying to figure that out. And I think that's the thing that resonates with people the most is the work ethic, how we all strive to be that hardworking, but it's also so much easier said than done. And his legacy was not done yet. And I think that's really hard for us to come to grips with. Right. And he made up with Shaq. Like he, he did that TV special, which was just very uh, comical, probably in ways that it was meant to be comical, but in ways that it wasn't meant to be comical. And that Kobe still, he always has that competitive center. And that was present in that interview that he did with Shaq. But still, they were able to come to some kind of terms with one another after so much turmoil. And a lot of people at the time said MJ would never, which is like the common line that we, you know, put on a lot of players. Like it's MJ become would, a joke now. Right, right. right. But the thing is, like, MJ would never, and that's a bad thing that MJ would have never done that, right? I mean, it's a negative thing. It's cool that Kobe could have some perspective on life and say, hey, I don't have to, like, carry this persona that made me super successful in the game. Like, I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. I can, I can let that go a little bit. And I think all of us can kind of take a lesson from that. Like, sometimes we can let the guard down a little bit and be okay to say, hey, I'm wrong in certain situations or, or I'm able to let that go. But, yeah, I mean, the... The whole thing. I mean, if you're a parent, it obviously hits you in a certain way. If you're an NBA fan, it hits you in a certain way. Uh, if you love anyone, it hits you in, in a certain way. And and it reminds all of us when 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 these icons die early, uh, they they are in our minds they're invincible, they're immortal because we see them on television, and that and 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 it makes them uh, almost untouchable. And then when something like this happens, whether it's to Kobe or to Dale Earnhardt, or, you know, the list goes on and on, it reminds us of our own mortality and life's fragility. And those are important reminders because they hopefully shake us out of the habitual. They shake us out of our everyday routines and remind us, hey, you have to make every day great. You have to have the same competitive spirit that drove Kobe Bryant to greatness on the court. You can channel that into anything that you do in life and anyone that you love and love them a little more and do a little more and make the world a better place and not fight so much on Twitter. There's plenty more to talk about regarding the death of Kobe Bryant. His career, his legacy still has a lot of talking points that we'll get to in the second segment here of the Locked On Hornets podcast, again, of the Locked On Podcast Network. No, I think a lot of people are maybe mentally wrestling with that fact, but it goes to show you how many people that he personally affected. Doug, you talked about Michael Jordan. I do not remember watching one game of Michael Jordan's prime. Not one game. Everything that I take in regarding Michael Jordan, they're all highlights. They're all games that are shown on you know, NBA Rewind. I, they're, all, they're all games that have happened in the past that I watched on reruns. I watched Kobe's beginning of his career to the end of his career. So Kobe, to me, 
that was the guy that most people say was the closest thing to Michael Jordan. If you want to have the GOAT conversation with LeBron, fine. But as far as go emulating Michael, it, it's the guy that most resembled his game that we'll ever see probably again. And Kobe was that guy to me and to everybody else that is close to my age. Well, what makes this kind of difficult is that, you know, we're used to being able to deal with someone's legacy over the course of decades. So we would have been taught, you know, with Kobe, if Kobe were still here, we'd be talking about him for decades and be wrestling with his legacy, both good and bad, dealing with it over time. And then you have time to process that. We're we're getting that in a sense with Michael Jordan because he's had these many layers of his career. And when somebody is cut down in the prime of their life, like Kobe Bryant is, you don't have time to deal with that. And that's, that's tough for us to, to, to understand. Everyone thought it was a joke yesterday when it was reported. Everyone had to check for the verification that Kobe Bryant's death was indeed real. We all had to check to see about the blue mark. We all had to make sure that we weren't getting fooled off of some sick, cruel joke that we often see too many times on Twitter. And then when everybody started to come to grips with, oh, this is real, there are some credible outlets actually coming up with some stuff, even with the lack of journalistic integrity that was egregious yesterday on a lot of different fronts. Yeah, it always is. found the fundamental thing that was being reported, and that was Kobe Bryant's death along with his daughter. We all started to feel a lot of the same feelings, whether whether it affected you personally or not. You understood the magnitude of the event. Doug, think about how many times Kobe Bryant was in your face experiencing some athletic pillar that you've experienced in your life. So Kobe Bryant, for me, 2000 NBA Finals, he wins his first championship along with Shaquille O'Neal. They dominate for the next three years. They get to the NBA Finals and win three straight times. It spawns my love of sports. Then we get to Kobe Bryant's battles with Tim Duncan in the Western Conference Finals, having some really epic battles in the playoffs. Then they get to 2004, where they have the first super team that I can remember, Gary Payton, Carl Malone. I remember having conversations with my dad as a grade schooler that they're going to lose five games. They end up getting beat in the NBA Finals. That's another checkpoint in my love of sports. We continue to go down the timeline. Kobe Bryant scores 81 points against the Toronto Raptors. Kobe Bryant wins the regular season MVP. We continue to go down the timeline. There is a revived rivalry between the Boston Celtics and the Lakers after having a chapter with the Larry Bird Magic days that I did not experience, including a going back further into that book at the beginning of it the rivalry between Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. I got to see a chapter of the Celtics and Lakers rivalry, which is beyond cool. Each of those teams sharing a championship. Then we can get to the end of Kobe's book, Doug, when Kobe scores 60 points and maybe, (laughs) look, I don't want to give you a whole bunch of hyperbolic statements. This has affected me though. Watching Kobe Bryant go for 60 points against the Utah Jazz where if there was a director making that film, the director would say, no, it's too unbelievable. Let's try to make this realistic. In that script, the director does not say Kobe goes for 60, including hitting big shots against Utah to win the final game of his career. That script doesn't happen because it's deemed too unrealistic. Yet that happened. And perhaps one of my favorite moments in sports history is the cameraman going to Shaquille O'Neal, and he just laughs. 
Shaquille O'Neal, somebody that he won three championships with. Shaquille is at that game for Kobe's last contest of his career. And he's just laughing at the ridiculousness that is Kobe Bryant ending with such an exclamation point. And to go through all of that timeline to stop at a lot of those checkpoints, I don't think it's any surprise once you start to get to the root of why we all feel this way, why I feel this way. There are so many historic sports checkpoints that Kobe Bryant was a part of that it is no surprise why we have this feeling collectively. Well, Kobe Bryant helped shape the game. He helped transform the game coming out of high school directly to the NBA and and becoming the star that he was. Uh, He helped guide the NBA through the post Jordan era, which started off really rocky. Like if you remember the, the, you know, sort of that start in 99, it looked like, Oh my God, the, the NBA game, what's going to happen. And then the show we had the mix in the finals with Houston and Spreewell. Yeah. Well, it didn't set. start off great. And then you had the Showtime Lakers. Now the NBA would, would have its trials even through the Kobe era. Um, but I think his stardom helped lift the NBA through some, some tough times uh, navigating the post-Jordan era. So I think you you could certainly make an argument that he helped save the NBA and propel it towards the future. And yet, his breed of basketball player is is kind of dying off. I mean, it's 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 dying off with DeMar DeRozan. Um, his style of play is becoming extinct. And yet, the the competitive nature that he carried on, that legacy that he carried on from Michael Jordan, that will never die. And we're still we're still looking for that player who's going to come in and say, no, I, I want to do this my way. I, I want to do it on my own or I, I want to do it my way. I want to be the lead dog. Like we're still always looking for that player. And so that, you know, is something that will will certainly last a long time. If we talk about favorite memories, I, I told you about my memory of Kobe's 60 point performance with mm-hmm. Shaq smiling. That that is That is, it's in my brain forever. I I love that moment. Just the sheer joy of watching an iconic player end his career with a guy that he won a few championships with and had a career long soap opera with. I mean, they had beef six months ago on Twitter, Doug, when, when Kobe Bryant said something about another center, I forget what it was, but then Kobe Bryant tried to say, hey, my bad, Shaq is the most dominant of all time. I, they, they had beef six months ago. It was great. It was great from start to finish, but that's one of my favorite memories. I'll always remember the alley-oop to Shaquille O'Neal because I remember a little bit of that Portland Trailblazers series. It, it, it's not as meaningful to me as that NBA final series was, but I do remember watching Portland and the Lakers a little bit in that Western Conference Finals. So seeing the alley-oop to Shaquille O'Neal from Kobe Bryant, you know that was pretty memorable for me what are some of the other most memorable sequence of events memorable shots from Kobe that you remember from his legacy that's the weird thing again this is just a personal thing for me I didn't have I didn't have those memories for Kobe I I mean I I went to the last game that he was in Charlotte I thought that was really cool and Jordan had a message which again Jordan had a slight in that message towards Kobe, which I, again, these guys, they can't help themselves. He's you know, they, incapable. Michael's incapable. Well, Michael and Kobe to a certain extent, like you said, he has to accidentally bring up the beef, but it's not so accidental because I think there's something inside these guys that, that just can't let go to a certain extent. Kobe was better at it than Michael, but Michael, yeah, that message was, um, that was a funny moment. But the, the one moment that sticks out in my mind for Kobe is not a shot. It's uh, when he was, um, st- he was guarding the inbounds and and uh, the player like faked it right in his face. Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes. Thank yeah. you. I was I was my brain was doing backflips trying to figure out the name of that player. Matt Barnes 
threw the ball in his or, or faked the ball right in his face, and Kobe didn't flinch. And we've since done like Zapruder film investigations. We did. We did. To figure I was on out, the wrong side of history in hindsight. Yeah, to figure out like was it really right directly in his face? But it doesn't matter because that's that moment for me just encapsulated like the Mamba mentality. The Kobe he was uh, he was unshakable, and, and it was it's so unique and it's so rare. Uh, these guys don't come along. You know, I mean, to me, the closest guy right now is is probably it's not like LeBron James is great, but his greatness is different than than Kobe. It, but I would say like Russ Westbrook to me, just in terms of the mentality, the 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 attitude is the closest thing that I can think of right now to, to Kobe Bryant. And that to me, that's tougher because the talent is is almost God given. Like LeBron James is a physical I mean, I'm not sliding his his work ethic because we all know he puts in a ton of work. But it, that, that's almost God given. The the thing that that always amazed me about Kobe is the extra stuff that he put into everything, and that to me is not God given. That's very humanistic to me. That comes from somewhere deep. Um, the the ability to say I'm going to do this thing, and this is a mentality that I have about a lot of stuff. And 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 producer Katie, my wife kind of doesn't understand this at all, uh, uh, 100% about me, that when I do something, it doesn't matter if it's a video game, I'm learning piano right now, um, making a sandwich. If I make a sandwich, it's got to be the, the greatest sandwich in the world. And that, that mentality, it's not because of Kobe, but I understand that mentality. Like, if I do something, I got to do it 125% or it's not worth doing. And that doesn't exist in everyone. And I think we have to, we have to appreciate that. If there's a top tier of people you would deem most competitive, I, I think that tier would look like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady. And I think that's the list, Doug. I think those are the three people that we put as far as people that were the most competitive and also were extremely good at what they did uh, to the point where there wasn't, but what, 0.1%, not even that even on that same level, Tom Brady is considered the goat and he is considered much more competitive than what Peyton Manning is. He might be underrated competitive, but Peyton Manning is fine. Nobody reaches the type of level that Tom Brady does. Michael Jordan is at the, at that same level. Right. Kobe Bryant is the closest thing that we get to that to the point where, you know what? He get he gets some chops on his own for his competitiveness. So I agree with you in that regard. And Doug, I'll tell you this to talk about this from a different angle. I'll always remember today's show. Hosting the wake-up call the day after Kobe Bryant dies unexpectedly. Not only will I always remember where I was when I heard the news of Kobe's passing, but I will always remember the show that I did after Kobe's passing. I wasn't brought to tears, but I definitely had quite a bit of emotion as I opened up today's show because, Doug, he's a part of what spawned my love for basketball. I right. tried to take a step back. And think about the guys that would make me feel the type of emotion that Kobe Bryant's passing did, right? Like what what other athletes would bring me to that specific emotion? And Vince Carter was my first favorite player of all time. After watching that finals, it was also watching him in the dunk contest where he should have got 50s on everything. Screw you, Kenny Smith, for not giving him a 50 on one of those dunks. But I remember watching him on that dunk in, in that dunk contest. Then I, I had to get about three or four posters and hang them up in my room. Vince Carter would absolutely bring that type of emotion. I think Shaquille O'Neal would because of the same things, right? He was in that finals. He was finals MVP. He dominated. We didn't have an answer for him for Indiana. And I'll always remember him for that. So Shaquille O'Neal would bring that type of emotion. 
Michael Jordan, LeBron James because they're GOAT candidates. And Doug, I don't know if there's anybody else that would. I mean, because I love basketball more than any other sport, because it is the first sport that I fell in love with, because it dominated my family. My grandfather you know, learned how to play shooting in a peach bu- basket, right? I mean, it, it, or no, excuse me, a lard bucket. Right. I mean, he, he <laughs> on the Those are two different the, things. You don't want to yeah, get your no, peaches right, out of a right, line. No, James Naismith invented it with a peach basket. Right. My grandpa learned how to play, you know, shooting in a lard bucket because his brother came home from school and said, you got to do something. So, you know, he picked up basketball and, you know, he played at Indiana and Butler, you know, basketball, it's in our genetics. And, you know, for me to watch Kobe Bryant and, and those guys in the 2000 NBA finals that eventually, again, you know, transitioned into a career that I have right now. I'll, I'll always remember the show that I did the day after Kobe's passing. It's, it, it has absolutely personally affected me. And I appreciate all the listeners bearing with our Kobe thoughts today as this is a Hornets podcast, but also the Hornets are a part of the NBA. And it's important to talk about something of this magnitude. So we'll continue maybe a little bit at the beginning of the next segment. We will also mention the Paris game that saw the Charlotte Hornets play the Milwaukee Bucks. Eventually, the Hornets would lose that game in Paris, but we'll be sure to mention some of that in the last segment of the Locked on Hornets podcast. One more thing on Kobe Walker, if you'll allow me. Um, I think it, it reminds me to really appreciate greatness. Uh, it's okay to, to uh, bring things back down to earth. It's okay to understand uh, that Kobe's volume shooting um, was was an issue at times. It's okay uh, at, at certain points to understand that Kobe was a human being with with faults and was was somebody with successes and failures, just like Michael Jordan, just like anyone that we lionize in sports. It's okay to do that, um, but it's also okay to appreciate greatness and and to watch it and, and be in awe of it. And to understand that these things don't happen every day and um, to, to really understand that. I think that's, that's what these situations always bring up for me because it's not permanent. You know, we only have a certain amount of time. It's why I didn't sell my Lakers tickets to go see that last game that Kobe was in Charlotte because you only get a limited number of opportunities to witness greatness. Doug, after that 81-point performance, I'm, I'm sorry. I just want to continue to talk about Kobe. After the 81-point performance, you know, I remember going into my seventh-grade history class the next day, and Ms. Hamilton, good old Ms. Hamilton, love that teacher, she actually took the time at the beginning of class to just show some Kobe Bryant highlights at the beginning of it, just a couple of minutes because something historic had just happened. And it's just funny that Kobe had that kind of impact on everybody, you know, watching greatness, right? Watching the 81 points and I didn't watch Michael Jordan live. You mentioned Michael Jackson. I didn't grow up on Michael Jackson's music. You know, that's not something that personally affected me as right. I was growing up. I, I listened to Michael Jackson. I absolutely, I, I love some of his music, but that's not something that personally affected me. I, I just am trying to come up with an example that is even close to this as far as a celebrity death that I've experienced, something that personally affected me, right? There, I, I can't. Right. I can't think of anything. And, you know, and, j- journalism is uh, – I'm a huge proponent of honest, um, unbiased, raw, real journalism that that digs into the depth of, of human beings. And because I'm not a big fan of 
of really just like worshiping people mm-hmm. because right. people are 100%. extremely flawed. We should we should not worship anyone, okay? Um, but I think that social media has turned us all into many journalists where we, we all we have to pick apart at, at all times. We have to dissect and we have to opinion, uh, uh, opine on things and, and, and bring things down. And I think it's okay every once in a while, while people are still alive, to appreciate greatness. Yeah, and that's, that's that, all I would say on that. No, it, it's, it is a little frustrating, right, that all of this happens. Kobe Bryant will never hear all the appreciation that we have. It, that's, that's unfortunate as well. I'm and sure. Maybe, well, I'll, I'll, I think he, he knew he was appreciated. I well, think okay, he, I, I think, understand I think, that, but this is, you know, the fact that what is it—the Empire State Building that's lighting up in purple and gold? I don't know if he ever would have thought that. It's maybe that's maybe, true. That's why, you know, yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's why I think we we should just use this as a reminder that we don't always have to bring things down to earth. Like it's okay every once in a while to appreciate greatness. Perhaps it it helps to move on from this topic even right at the time of something like this happening so we can talk about the game between the Charlotte Hornets and the Milwaukee Bucks that did happen in Paris. I wouldn't say the Charlotte Hornets got embarrassed, Doug, and that was really the only thing that I was hoping for. The score was not indicative of how that game actually played out. The Bucks went on a, a, a hot run at the very end of that game where they hit a couple yep. of threes, and again, the score... It was stretched out more than that game actually really was. But Malik Monk, he's been in the news quite a bit, and this was the performance. Uh, he was the performance that you would take away as far as anything on a positive note. 30 points for Malik. He went bonkers in this game. Should have t- uh, You should have taken him in the uh, Bromance box score battle beatdown. You, uh, you went 0-2 again, by the way. I openly contemplated it, but I did not have the strength to do so. And sure enough, it came to bite me as I go 0-2 once again. But Malik Monk, this was the performance to take away, Doug. He looked incredible out there. It's two performances in a row where he scored 20 in the game against the Magic, and he scored 30 in this game against the Bucks. What do these past two performances mean for Malik Monk? Does it change anything regarding um, the openness into which you would deal Malik Monk? I know it doesn't change anything to me. In fact, I think it's it's a good showcase, like right here at the trade deadline. Like I, his value is never Yeah, high. like you would want to see him do this, right? Because you don't see this terribly consistently out of Malik Monk, okay? So I'm not ready to believe that he's mm-hmm. uh, turned some magical corner that would allow him to consistently produce in this way. I just, I, I don't have any evidence for that. So, no, it doesn't change anything macro for me. I think it's great couple of performances from him, for sure. Uh, I will say I don't want to take for granted that the Hornets didn't get blown out because I thought they would. And I think it shows uh, that the JB has this team on in the right mindset right now, that they went in and they, they, they tried very hard to win this basketball game. You know, in a weird situation, you're in Paris, you start Nick Batum. By the way, I think it also shows that if the Hornets did, I, I've, I've said this a couple times, if the Hornets did really want to win this season – there's a different set of lineups that you would see, right? Like you probably see Batum starting. You'd probably see Marvin Williams get more minutes. Like if they didn't want to go towards the youth movement, they they could probably win a few games that they haven't this season. So I think that that's something. Uh, I pick Batum as my low scorer in the uh, box score 
uh, bromance battle beatdown. Uh, and and it was almost a bad thing when Batum started, but then Bacon, you picked Bacon, he got DQ'd. Anyway, I went 2-0. and Just wanted to mention that. I am I think I'm up 5-1 to one right mentioned now. mentioned it a couple of times, Thanks. I believe. Um, so, uh, Doug, yeah. given the circumstances, nobody wants to hear about your wins here today. I think it was cool that they started Batum. <laughs> I think that's very cool. That's very neat. You're you're in France. It was kind of funny, though. I think there was a reporter after the game that asked JB if he expected a better performance out of Batum since he was in France. (laughs) So that's kind of funny. Um, Um, So all in all, though, I think it's good. You know, you come back, you've, you've, uh, again, you had to go international, but you've had plenty of days where you're not playing basketball to kind of get your head right. So they've got games against the Knicks, I believe the Pacers this week. Um, so this is an important week, I think, for the Hornets. It's not necessarily, again, it's not necessarily about them winning games this week, but it is about them, lo- if they're going to lose, losing the right way. Oh, I'm sorry, it was Knicks, Wizards, and Spurs this week. Yeah, so Knicks I, and Wizards are winnable games. They're winnable games. Uh, and And... I think the Hornets need to win at least one of those games. You don't want to see them put together a, a, a historic losing streak that kills team morale. They need a win this week. They need multiple wins this week, I think, to get get the franchise moving in a, in a good direction, even though it would technically hurt the draft stock or whatever. Yeah, before we end today's show, I did want to bring up the question on air that I asked you via text message after I went 0-2 in that Bucks hornets game. Doug, I feel like the norm, the default that you would set if this game was played on a computer would be the high score would always be Devontae Graham and the low score would always be Miles Bridges. I would be interested in how many times you would win the rest of the season if you just went with those two players in those slots. Devontae Graham with the highest stat line, Miles Bridges with the lowest stat line. What say you on if I just did that every single time, how many of those games would I win? Well, it's interesting because the way we have, this is going to be kind of a nerdy answer, but like, I get your point. I would expect nothing else. I get your point that Devontae Graham is going to be consistently the most, because uh, he gets the most usage, so he's going to pile up the box. I mean, whatever his shooting percentages are, he's going to pile up the most box score stats because he has the highest usage on the team. And Bridges is a low usage player that's also incredibly inefficient. Didn't play well against Milwaukee. He got benched for Batum. It's a weird situation, but we've seen the Hornets... You know, when when just the slightest change means bigger changes down the line. So th- could that happen for Bridges? That's the biggest storyline next week for me is what happens. Does Bridges go right back into the starting lineup or maybe JB shakes it up and, and, and leaves Bridges on the bench? I get your point, but the way we have the thing set up, it's a draft. And so if if you did that, if you pick Graham and Bridges and went 2-0, and I would then get first pick. And so I could either take Graham or... Uh, in your scenario where you always get those players, I think I could probably pick around the edges a little bit and 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 get some guys like a Malik Monk and take a flyer on a on a player and and sweep the leg and get. I, I I'm confident in my abilities. I'm five. So and really, one. you're just too good for that. I'm it, five and one. Like I, the, yeah. the evidence right now is all in my favor. Mm-hmm. No, it's an ample enough sample size. Absolutely, and you are feeling yourself in the what highest regard. Mean? Do what? What does ample mean? Plentiful amount. Okay. I mean, were you? Were you yes, I'm super ample. Wait, were you? Were you? Te- is that not a real word? I know. <laughs> is that hold on? Are I you? I didn't know what it meant. I just needed. I needed a clarification. That was weird. Yeah, enough or more than enough. <laughs> plentiful. In fact, I got Thank it you. to the exact definition. I, I, I call me Mister. Call that. me Mister Ample. 
thanks for dealing with us here today, dealing with our Kobe Bryant conversation, a conversation allowing us to grieve a little bit about the Kobe Bryant passing. I'm sure a lot of you had some similar emotions that came with Kobe Bryant's passing. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. Doug's on Twitter at Doug Branson, LOH. And our show handle is on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. We have Rick Bennell tomorrow, Tuesdays with Rick. Join us then again on the Lockdown Hornets podcast.